0: And Father, we come now to the point of the service where we, we want to hear you speak to us. That's why we come to your word each week, because we know that we would be lost without you, lost without your word. And so we come now to your word wanting to hear you speak, and we pray that you would remove any, any distractions from us, any, anything that would hinder us from hearing you, any fears or anxieties or frustrations or even... Just the busyness of life, Lord, remove those things um, so that we could focus clearly on what you have to say. And then, Lord, we ask that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning. Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. Well, we have two more messages left in Psalm 118. We have this morning and then our final message from this psalm will be on Christmas Eve. And so just a short part of the the psalm this morning, just uh, four verses. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. When most people hear the word Christmas, they get... Warm and fuzzy on the inside, don't we? We we hear Christmas and we kind of immediately have images popping into our mind of hot chocolate with marshmallows, maybe the snow slowly drifting down outside and the joy of children opening gifts under the tree. Or we have memories and, and images of the church gathered on Christmas Eve. Sur- you know, around the outside of the worship center, holding these candlelights in the darkness and singing "Silent Night," and those are good things, right? Those are all good. This, I'm not going to make fun of that. I'm, those are good. it's good for us to have emotions of joy and warmth as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Um, and there was these things at Christ's birth, right? We had the, the angels were singing. And there was joy and there was gift giving, right, through through the wise men, but not everyone was excited about Jesus' birth. Um, there was also darkness present there, which is why when we gather on Christmas Eve, we stand in a dark sanctuary holding little candlelights to remember that Christ was the light that came in the darkness. Um, Listen to this familiar part of the Christmas story. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. And as we tell this story, we always like to focus on the wise men and their desire to come worship the king, right? They traveled from afar to to worship King Jesus and give him gifts. But we can't ignore Herod's response. Herod heard about Jesus born. He heard about the Messiah being born. And it says he was troubled. And not just him. It says, and actually all of Jerusalem with him was troubled when they heard that Jesus was born. They weren't excited. They didn't sing. They didn't rejoice. And they did not bring gifts to him. But they were troubled. And Herod was so troubled That he did something atrocious. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. That's part of the Christmas story. That was part of the darkness into which Christ was born. That King Herod, a king of Judea, rejected the Messiah, right? He knew full well that Jesus was the Messiah, the one to be born, to save God's people. The chief priests and the scribes said, this is the one. He was going to be born in Bethlehem, and he didn't rejoice. He rejected him. So much that he slaughtered a bunch of babies and toddlers. Um, and it's a reminder that Jesus has been rejected ever since his birth. And it shouldn't surprise us because this was predicted from the Old Testament. Even our, our passage today says, the stone that the builders rejected, talking about Jesus. Jesus quoted this passage, said, I am that stone. I am the stone that is going to be rejected. And then another famous prophecy about the Messiah in Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That came true about Jesus. He was rejected at his birth. Is rejected throughout his life, he continues to be rejected, and he'll even be rejected when he comes again in all of his glory. We read in Revelation, as Christ is coming back, says, the rest of mankind who are not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood who cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Jesus comes again in all of his glory and they look at him and they say, We don't want any of it. We don't want you. You're rejected. And so Christ has had this about him since the beginning. He's been rejected at his birth. Rejected throughout his life. Rejected after he rose from the dead. And he will be rejected again when he comes in all of his glory. Which means we shouldn't be that surprised as we see people reject Jesus today. Um, I was just reading, reading an article this week um, that said back in 1960, so that was when this church was planted, right? So 60 years ago when this church was planted, um, a study said 63% of the population in the United States were, were regularly attending church. Okay, so 63% 60 years ago. Um, this last week or a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a local pastor. He told me that number is down to 20%. Okay, so in 60 years, from 63% down to 20%. And, and, and we can even say that's not even talking about faithful church. That's just talking about church attendance in general. And so we're, we're watching this massive shift happen in our country where people are Just turning away from Christ and rejecting Him over and over and over again. And in one way, it's shocking to see that big of a shift in 60 years, and yet we shouldn't be surprised. Because from the time He was born, Christ was rejected. And along with understanding that comes another difficult truth that Jesus told His disciples, and He's telling us this as well. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And it's a reminder to us that if they rejected Jesus, they will also reject his people. And it's a reminder for us as Christians that as we follow Jesus, we will be rejected by society, by culture. And and I think we need to start getting used to that reality because 60 years ago when the majority of our culture was attending church and even more at least thought Christianity was a good thing, it was easy to be a Christian. Um, It was even easy to pretend to be a Christian because it was kind of seen as a good thing, but that's not the case. 20% is a small minority in our culture. And uh, Christianity is not seen as being a good thing anymore. Um, Christians are regularly regularly being called hateful, self-righteous bigots. And so we, as we follow Christ, are going to increasingly be rejected by society. And I think we need to learn to be okay with that. Because that's always been the case. And we need to be okay with that as we continue to keep our eyes on Christ and follow Him and stand firm in in what He's taught us. Because we're going to be tempted, right? As as we get rejected by people we even like and appreciate, we're tempted to kind of waffle and move on on certain issues. We're tempted to kind of water things down because we like to be liked. And yet, we can't do that. And even other Christians are going to tell us, stop talking about that. You're, You're angering everybody. It doesn't mean we have to be jerks. But we can't water down What Christ has taught. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to follow Jesus. And we watch how Jesus taught and acted in the world. He didn't water down what he taught. He didn't avoid hot topics in order to win approval. That's why they killed him. Because he ticked a lot of people off. And so if we are going to faithfully follow Jesus, we're going to be rejected as well and yet we need to be like jesus who said jesus repeatedly said i'm not doing anything that the father hasn't told me to do and i'm not saying anything that the father hasn't told me to say and it's a good reminder for all of us to be living our lives so that we're not doing anything the father hasn't told us to do and that we're only saying what the father has told us to say but if we do that we will also be rejected just along right along with jesus But the beauty of of our passage this morning is that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And it's this powerful truth that our God has a way of building beautiful temples out of rejected stones. The world rejected Jesus, and God said, that's exactly the stone that I want. be the foundation of my church, the foundation of salvation, and the foundation of all hope in the world. And we look at that and we say, that's a marvelous thing. And it should cause us to question the wisdom of the world. And so we, we look at Christ, the one rejected by all of the chief priests and Pharisees, the one rejected by the king and the one rejected by the world, and God said, exactly who I want to be, the Savior. And, and it reminds us that, on the one hand, that there, there are these vast opinions out there that everyone thinks are right, and uh, God says, yeah, no. <laughs> that just because a lot of people believe something doesn't make it true. I mean, look at Herod. Herod looked at Jesus, rejected Him, and he was wrong. And the chief priests and the Pharisees looked at Jesus, they rejected him, and they were wrong. And the world continues to look at Jesus and reject him, and they're wrong. And on top of that, the world looks at God's people, and they'll reject God's people, and guess what? They're wrong. They'll make false accusations against the church, and they're wrong. And they'll make claims that the church isn't good for culture, that we're that we're only raising hateful bigots in the church, and they're wrong, they're slanders and false accusations. And we need to be reminded that the stone that our culture keeps rejecting is the true cornerstone. Christ is the only foundation for our salvation, and the only foundation strong enough for us to build our life upon, and to even make that more broad, Christ is the only foundation strong enough to build a society and a culture upon as well. And so it doesn't matter if our society and culture says that it's bad from their wrong. Because the stone that they're rejecting is the only cornerstone. And we know the truth of that. And so we can f- continue to follow our God. And we continue to talk about it wherever we go. Um, but the psalmist says we don't just talk about it, we actually rejoice and are glad in it, right? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is, right, we've... We, this is a famous verse. We all know it. We have the song. We sing it over and over again, and it's a good reminder for us that every day is a Lord, that the, a day that the Lord has made, we should rejoice and be glad in it, um, which is true. But in this passage, it has there's there's more to the context. Um, what is the day that the Lord has made that He's talking about? It's the day that the rejected stone became the cornerstone. That's the day that the Lord made. And we should rejoice and be glad in that. That Christ was rejected by many, but He has now become the foundation of all of our hope and salvation in our life. And it brings joy and gladness to us, right? And like we mentioned last week, because of Christ being the foundation and the cornerstone, now there are glad songs of salvation in our homes and in our lives. Um, but don't miss the difficulty here, um, because there's, there's a difficult part of what's being said here. The day, the day that the Lord has made, the one that we need to rejoice in, is the day where the rejected stone became the cornerstone, um, but the stone is still rejected on that day, and we are still called to rejoice, even as the stone is rejected. Um, that's tough. We're called to rejoice as Christ is rejected. And we're even called to rejoice when we are rejected. And, And Jesus told the same thing to his disciples. He said, blessed are you when people reject you, when they revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. And you could just put a parenthesis in there. For this is the day that the Lord has made. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's a hard saying. To rejoice and be glad in the midst of seeing Christ rejected, but also in the midst of being rejected ourselves. But the reminder is we know that our God makes rejected stones, cornerstones, and we know God builds beautiful temples out of rejected stones, and so we can rejoice in the midst of that. And and as the early church, and as we read through Acts, we can rejoice because we know that we're following in the same path that Jesus took. The, The disciples were thrown in jail and beaten, and they would leave saying, we're able to share in the suffering of Christ, and we rejoice in that. And that's almost, that makes our ears twinge a little bit when we hear that now. And yet, that's all throughout Scripture. We're called to rejoice and be glad when we're rejected. And, you know, it's not something that we do naturally, um, but it's something we're going to have to learn as we're increasingly rejected for being God's people um, right there's, there's two different ways you can respond when, when you're rejected and slandered and, and persecuted. On the one hand, you can become just like those who are rejecting you and slandering you and persecuting you, and you can get angry and frustrating and begin slandering and reviling them back. Um, but we all know in the end that that accomplishes nothing good. Uh, we think it'll make us feel better to kind of Punch them back in the face with our words, and it doesn't. Um, it doesn't change anything in their life. It doesn't make you feel any better, and uh, most importantly, it, it doesn't honor God. Um, but on the other hand, as you hear people slandering you, reviling you, persecuting you, rejecting you, you can respond with joy and gladness. You can you can. You can actually look slander and, and persecution in the eye with a twinkle in your eye and a smile on your face and joy in your heart and maybe even a little giggle because you know it's ridiculous. Say, anyone who knows me knows that that's not true. And then you walk away. And that makes a difference, doesn't it? That cha- the person falsely accusing you goes, wait, why are they smiling? And everybody looking in goes, wait, maybe this isn't as true as I thought it was, because they're they're smiling about this. There's two different types of smiles, though. There's kind of an arrogant smile. Don't do that one, right? But do the good one. Um, And it actually makes you feel better, right? Because you're not diving into all of the slander yourself, and it brings honor to God. And that's how we're being called to live in the world. We're, supposed to, we're called to live in the midst of being rejected, having a joy and gladness about our, with a, just kind of about our being. And it's not natural for us, right? We, we want to be approved by other people. There's something in us that wants people to approve of us, right? We like to be liked. And so when people don't like us and when people don't approve us, we have this negative reaction and we want to do something to get their approval back. But Jesus, in this passage, gives us a really powerful reminder. He says, we rejoice and are glad when we're persecuted, for our reward is great in heaven. And and one of those rewards waiting for us in heaven, and actually we feel it now, is the approval of our God. That through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we are approved by God. We, when we put our faith in Christ, God looks down at us and he sees Christ in us and says, I approve. And we go, wait, 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 yeah, that's right. But because of Christ, we are approved. And so we can go out into the world and say, I don't care if anybody else approves of me. My Father in heaven looks down on me and approves of me. That's enough for me. I don't have to be loved by the world. I just have to be loved by my Father. And in connection with that, you will be loved by His people as well. All those who have not rejected the Father. And so in the midst of that, we can rejoice and be glad because Christ, the rejected stone, has been the cornerstone. That God uses rejected stones to build beautiful temples. And then we we follow Him in the midst of being rejected and we continually cry out this save us we pray O lord oh lord we pray give us success blessed is he or blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord we bless you from the house of the lord just because we have joy and gladness in the midst of being rejected and persecuted doesn't mean we don't still come to our god and say deliver me save me from the, save me from my own sin. Yes, save me from the slanders of those around me. Save, save me from the persecutions being thrown at me. Give us success in what we're trying to do and remind me, Lord, that those who come in the name of the Lord are blessed. Do you recognize this passage? Is this ringing bells of, of other things that we've heard over and over again? Maybe if I tell you that Save us in Hebrew is Hosanna. Blessed is of the Lord. This is the passage they were quoting as Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem leading up to his death. And those who had not rejected Jesus screamed out, save us, save us. Blessed is he, Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord, but so... Uh, those, everyone else who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed as well. But as they shouted out these words, the chief priests and the Pharisees looked upon all of that and did what? Rejected him. Started plotting his death, his crucifixion from that moment on. And I think they were thinking about it for quite a while before that. But this was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, but then listen to how the disciples responded to those who were rejecting Jesus, right? So this, is, this happened after Jesus died, after Jesus rose again from the dead. They still continued to reject Jesus. They still continued to reject his people. They slandered them, persecuted them, reviled them, locked them up into prison. And how did the disciples respond in that moment? They looked at the chief priests and the Pharisees and said, This, Jesus, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so as they were rejected as God's people and as, God's, and as the world continued to reject Jesus, his people went out. And they joyfully and boldly preached the Gospel to those who were rejecting that very Gospel. They, they were thrown in prison for pre- preaching Jesus. They were rebuked for preaching Jesus. And while they were there, they said, this guy that you're rejecting is your only hope for salvation. He's the cornerstone of your hope in the world. He's the cornerstone of your salvation. Turn away from your rejection of Him. Embrace Him and you will live. Because there's no salvation in anyone else apart from Christ. And they told them, if you keep rejecting Him, you'll have no hope. You'll have no salvation in the world. But if you turn, if you repent, turn from your sin, look to Jesus in faith, you'll be saved. You'll find salvation and you can begin to build your life upon the rock. And that's how we're called to live as God's people. Called to live in a world that's increasingly rejecting our Savior. We're called on the one hand to just expect it. Not settle for it, but expect it. There's a difference. Expect that Jesus will be rejected and slandered. And and, and then we as his people will be rejected and slandered and persecuted um, as well. We have to expect it. We shouldn't be surprised by it or caught off guard. Um, And then we're also called to rejoice and be glad. In the midst of that, the joy of the Lord is our strength, even in the midst of persecution and rejection. How do we do that, right? We remember that God builds beautiful temples out of rejected stones. And as we're rejected, God's in the process of doing something amazing and marvelous and glorious, and He works in ways that we don't understand. And so we continue to stand firm in the truth, continue to keep our eyes on Christ And we follow him wherever he tells us to go. And we say whatever he tells us to say. And one of the things he tells us to say is the gospel. Over and over and over again. Wherever we're at. We're called to do that joyfully and boldly in the world. As people reject the gospel, we're called to joyfully and boldly say, The one you're rejecting is your only hope for salvation in the world. If you turn from him, you will have no hope. But if you turn to him, you will have all the hope and joy and peace you could ever experience in the world. And we keep doing that over and over and over again. Even when they reject him, because the stone that was rejected by the world is the cornerstone of all hope and salvation in the world. And that's our Savior, Christ. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you just thankful for the mysterious and the glorious ways that you work in this world. We would never think to use a rejected stone to be the cornerstone, and yet your ways are higher than our ways, your wisdom is higher than our wisdom, and we give you thanks for that. And Father, we come to you admitting that we often fall short of how you've called us to live. We often change our opinions. We often um, want to be loved by the world more than we want to be loved by you. We want to be approved by the world more often than we want to be approved by you. And so we ask your forgiveness. And uh, Lord, we're thankful that we have this hope and comfort in your forgiveness through Christ and We pray not only that you would forgive us for falling short, but that you would empower us through your spirit, that as we go out from this worship service and into our families and communities and jobs, that we would joyfully and boldly live the lives you've called us to live. May we have joy and boldness to bring the gospel to the world, knowing that you are the only sure foundation for hope for salvation, and for joy in this world. Help us to hold on to you more fully each day and help us to continually point others to you as well. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.